Welcome to Health Essentials, a Cleveland Clinic podcast. There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends, but who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nadia Youssef. Today we have with us our orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Trevor Murray, and we'll be discussing joint replacement. And before we begin, please remember this is for informational purposes only and it's not intended to replace your own physician's advice. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, if you want to just take a few minutes to introduce yourself to our audience. Sure, thanks for having me. Sure. I'm looking forward to it. Um, as she said, my name's Trevor Murray. Uh, I'm an adult reconstruction surgeon here at the Cleveland Clinic. A little background, I was actually a resident here from 2004 to 2010, mm -hmm. um, where I did a residency in orthopedic surgery, and then I went to Chicago for a year to do a fellowship, which was a year of specialization in total hip and total knee replacements. And now I've been back here on staff since August of 2011. Wow. So almost seven years, yeah, it goes really fast. Yeah. Um, I specialize in total hip and total knee replacements, including partial knee replacements, and then also revision surgery, trying to take care of hip and uh, knee replacements that aren't working appropriately. Great, well, thank you for being here today. And I wanna kinda start off with general question. Sure. What is osteoarthritis and why knees and hips are affected by it? Um, you know, in short, osteoarthritis is the loss of cartilage on the end of our bones. Um, and so typically cartilage is a very frictionless, smooth surface, which allows us to move our joints freely and without pain. Osteoarthritis is when we start to lose that surface on the end of our bones. It can affect any joint in the body. Mm -hmm. um, it's common in the hip and knee. It's actually most common in the knee uh, due to the fact that they're weight-bearing joints. Okay. The etiology or, or where it comes from, we're not exactly sure. There are certainly environmental factors, um, but mostly it's kind of in our genetic code. Okay. And so we'll see patients of all shapes and sizes and activity levels develop arthritis. And does it get worse with age then? It does. It okay. is a degenerative process by definition. And so over time, that condition will worsen. Something interesting about osteoarthritis is though that patients will go through periods of time where they have very mild symptoms, followed by times of severe symptoms, and then actually, you know, a loss of symptoms again. So it can be a little confusing for patients. But over time, if you chart it, they get worse as time goes on. Okay. All right. Now, who is a candidate for this uh, surgery? So if we're talking about hip and knee replacements, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of the imaging has to match the patient. And so I tell my patients all the time, we don't treat x-rays, we treat patients. Mm -hmm. um, and so they need to have end-stage arthritis on x-ray. Um, they need to have tried non-operative management, okay. whether it's through activity modification, um, formal physical therapy, anti-inflammatory medications, but given that a, a, a good effort, um, and then be medically appropriate to undergo mm -hmm. hip and knee replacement. Okay. And again, those are conversations that you would have with your own surgeon. And obviously, like the pain level needs to be pretty high. Absolutely, I, yeah, thank you. I, you know, if a patient comes to me and has x-rays that show end-stage arthritis, that patient, if they're doing well and is functioning well, yeah. certainly does not warrant surgery, right? This is an elective procedure. This is not a clogged artery in your heart. This is not a tumor. Um, this is a quality of life decision. Okay. And so pain needs to be part of it for sure. Right, right. Now let's talk about the surgery itself. Um, are there new to, uh, joint replacement technologies that we should be talking about? Um, there are. Um, it seems like every day there's new technology. Yeah. Uh, I think at a place like the Cleveland Clinic, we need to be responsible about how we manage that technology and introduce that technology to our patients. And I think we do a good job of that. One currently is robotic surgery. And mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of pe people watching this have heard of that. 
Um, we have robotic capabilities here. Okay. Um, like any new technology, we're trying to figure out exactly where it fits and for which patients. Um, it certainly seems promising. Um, it allows us to make very precise cuts. Um, we know that it enables us to hit target the target better, but sometimes we don't know exactly what the right target is, and that's where that that um, divide can occur between, okay, we have this great technology, but does that correlate to better outcomes for the patient? Certainly early on, we think it's going to, um, but like anything, time will tell, and, and we're responsibly uh, you know, adding that into our practices. So is the robot itself kind of like uh, uh, helping or guiding the doctors for the incision? Because it's not actually doing the surgery, right? Uh, <laughs> one day You're probably robotic. will, which I'm a little nervous about. Yeah. Um, so it does not help with the incision. So the, the incision and the, what we call the approach to the knee is the same. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what's interesting about the robot is that we're able to map the patient's anatomy preoperatively through advanced imaging like a CT scan. So it does require a, more imaging preoperatively. Okay. Then once in the operating room, we register the patient's anatomy and we're able to basically virtually implant the joint replacement and to see what that's going to function like. Mm -hmm. um, and we can add stress to the knee and balance the knee virtually. Sure. And then once we decide on that plan, which is where the surgeon comes in and hopefully our expertise comes into play, um, the robot arm actually comes in with the saw. We're holding that saw, but it has what's called haptic technology, so it won't allow us to cut outside of the safe zone that we've created. So uh -huh. it helps us make the bony cuts. Okay. But none of the soft tissue work. Okay, that sounds painful. And the implants we put in are the same implants we would use if we did not use a robot. Right, right, okay, great. And. Um, so what does a total hip replacement look like or a knee replacement look like? What, what do sure. we expect? I have models. Okay. Great. Yeah, let's do that. So let's, we were talking about knees, so let's start with knees. Um, hope this is on camera. <laughs> so this is what a knee replacement looks like from the front. Okay, everybody was doing well. Yeah. I think it's more important to look at it from the side, frankly. And I tell patients all the time, it should really be called a knee resurfacing. As you can see, we don't cut here, here, take the knee out and put a new knee in. We actually, at no, no more than about a centimeter anywhere, uh, do we make a bony cut and then resurface the bones with metal on the end of the thigh bone, mm -hmm. metal on the top of the shin bone, and then this piece of plastic snaps in between and that becomes your new joint surface. So that's wow. a total knee replacement. So is that where the cartilage would usually be? Typically be, yeah. Yes. What okay. you see is silver and gray, that's where cartilage usually would be. Oh, okay. 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 Great. Um, and then with a hip replacement, I don't have bony models to go with it. A little bit different is... Uh, this is the femoral stem. It goes down inside the thigh bone. It's hollow, mm -hmm. kind of like a PVC pipe. Okay. Um, and then it has a ball that snaps onto the end of it. Oh. And then on the pelvis, there's a metal cup that goes into the pelvic bone. Mm -hmm. Again, with a surface that the bone can grow into it, a piece of plastic that snaps into that, wow. which becomes your new joint lining, and then the new joint is a ball and socket. Wow. And that's how the wow. patient has a nice pain-free joint afterwards. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about recovery from this kind of surgery. Can I go home or do I need to go to rehab after this? Sure. The short answer is go home. You go can home? go home. Okay. Um, so this has changed over time and changed dramatically. Um, let's see, I just said I started my training in 2004, so 14 years ago. I mean, over that relatively short period of time, mm -hmm. we've seen a drastic change in how soon patients can go home and the fact that they are going home. So we developed care paths here, uh, myself and several of my colleagues, to standardize the care, still with you know uh, specifics for each individual patient, sure. but to try to standardize the things that we can standardize. And with that has come a significant reduction in length of stay, whereas it used to be three and a half days. Some of our institutions, Lutheran Hospital being one of them, our length of stay is down to 1.2 days, so the vast wow. majority of our patients are going home the next day. And then again, that discharge to home as opposed to a rehab facility 
is upwards of 80 to 90 percent of patients going home now, wow. which is a big shift. It was a cultural shift for our patients, as well as everybody who's part of the healthcare team. Yeah. But realizing that that's a very safe way to do it. Now, if patients need to go to rehab, whether they don't have any help at home or they are extremely deconditioned before surgery, we still set that up and it's still a viable option. Good. Um, but certainly for the vast majority of patients, it's a one night stay in the hospital. Some of them actually go home the same day, but that's a, a little bit different. But one night stay in the hospital and then home. And then crutches or no crutches? <laughs> so patients will need what we call a cyst device. Uh, crutches can be a little cumbersome. Yeah. Most of our patients will use a walker. Okay. Um, and that's usually a three to four week time frame. Um, and then they transition to a cane. Okay. Um, for another week or so. So you're looking anywhere from three to six weeks with some type of assist device and then nothing. Okay. And, and barring any certain um, special circumstances, most of our patients can put their full weight on it right after surgery. Sure, sure. And I'm sure um, indivi individually everybody's different, but what is the best recovery for a patient? What are they supposed to be doing? What do you expect them to be doing after a few months? Sure. And so uh, along those lines, again, to, to kind of go out further, um, it's, you know, like I said, four to six weeks with an assist device. Mm -hmm. I tell patients, and, and what we see is about three months, you're 90% recovered. The biggest thing they do from a recovery standpoint mm -hmm. is uh, really engage in the process, okay. okay? It's not a passive process. This is an active process. You know, I, I tell patients, I, I work really hard for an hour to hour and a half. Yeah. Their job's tougher and they have to work really hard for six to eight weeks, and in the end, we're both happy and get a really good outcome. Right. But the key is social support at home, if you can, have people around. You're not going to be 100% dependent on them, right. but having someone around to help out is going to be important. Um, but again, within one to two weeks, especially with hip replacements, I mean, patients are getting around very well. Now, there's some precautions we put on them early on, okay. um, but I think most patients, again, especially with hip replacements, are kind of surprised at how quick that recovery goes. And how fast is the pain supposed to go away? It's variable. <laughs> um, I wish everybody went away really quickly, yeah. I, and I wish I could put my finger out. We, we do a lot of things now that we did not do in the past as far as helping with post-operative pain management, okay. um, with local injections, different blocks that our anesthesia colleagues do, which has helped tremendously and helps reduce the amount of pain medications patients need. Sure. But there are still these kind of outliers where patients will have pain for a long period of time, but we manage them through that. By and large, um, the first four weeks or so okay. can be pretty difficult, but okay. it is really patient dependent. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, if we my, could figure out how to put our finger on that, it would be nice. Yeah, my mother got a full knee replacement, I think a few months ago, maybe even last year by now, but she still has some pain going up and down the stairs whenever she bends the knee kind of like all the way back. And I never know, is this normal or should she go back? So these are questions we get a lot, and yeah. I would tell you it's normal. Okay. Um, I wish I could tell you that all of my patients have zero pain following knee replacement, but that, yeah. that's just not the case. Sure. And in fact, some studies will show us that one out of 20 patients not only have some pain after knee replacement, but actually are somewhat dissatisfied. Now, I think part of that is with the expectations that are set. So when we look at the knee, it's a very complex joint. So replacing a knee uh, has a lot of variables at play. And so a lot of patients will have some residual pain after surgery. Okay. We looked at our own results, and fortunately, we found that 98-plus percent of patients here have a clinically significant reduction in pain. But that does not mean zero out of 10 pain. Right. When you look at total hips, again, we'll have some patients with, with residual pain, but the vast majority of total hip replacement patients have little to no pain following okay. that surgery. Okay. Now, with limitations after surgery, um, can patients still kneel? Can they do sports for hip uh, replacement? Can they still have sacs? Is, are these limit, limited? Yes. Yes. Okay. In short, is yes. So when we look at knee replacements, the limitations are really what the patient can tolerate for the most part. We get that asked a lot, can I kneel on it? The answer is yes. A lot of patients do not like the way that feels. Right. 
Um, the old dogma was, oh my gosh, you can't kneel on these, they're gonna explode. That's not the case. Um, most of us allow our patients to, but again, going back to the fact that most, a lot of patients don't necessarily like the way that feels. Sure. You know, it's kind of a corny analogy, but I use it a lot. If you take a car and you put new tires on the car mm -hmm. and you drag race, you're gonna have a lot of fun, but the, you're gonna need new tires soon, <laughs> sure. right? If you park it in your garage, you're never gonna need new tires, but that's not really why you put new tires on in the first right. place. Right. So that activity level, those restrictions, it's somewhere in the middle. The more you use it, the quicker it's going to wear out, but we do this to get patients back to active lifestyles. As an aside, I, I used to jokingly say, well, don't bungee jump or jump out of an airplane. Yeah. Nobody's going to. <laughs> you I never know. I swear, I literally had a patient come back about two months ago. She had done both, and wow. she had bilateral knees in, and everything went well. I don't oh, recommend great. that. Don't recommend that, no. <laughs> um, and then with hips, you can dislocate a hip, and so there are some precautions for the first three months or so that we put on patients as far as extremes of motion yeah. um, that the therapists go over with them. But again, after that, by and large, I, I tell my patients to do what they want, live their life. This is why we did it. Okay, great. Now, looking at these models, um, a lot of metal pieces involved. Is uh, security gonna stop me when I go through the system? Potentially, Do you have to they let can. Them know? Yeah, they can set off metal detectors. They can. Um, okay. Pre-9-11, actually, we used to give out, and some, some folks still do, and some patients really request it, in which case I will, sure. but we used to give out cards to patients saying that they had a total joint in, which helped expedite their movement through security. That does not help anymore. In fact, okay. I was at the airport recently, and saw this poor woman going through her bag trying to find her letter to say that she had a wow. joint replacement, but it didn't, so it had, in fact caused increased Custom. time to get yeah. through security. Yeah. But yes, you, you can set off uh, metal detectors. There's unfortunately no way to circumvent that. So just let them know. We're just let them in. know. And, and I mean, there are millions of people out there with joint replacements, so they're well aware of this. Okay, good. I'm gonna ask you one more question before we go to live. Sure. Um, if we have two knees, if both knees are in pain or you know need replacement, do you recommend one at a time then, or how does that work? So that's patient dependent. Um, okay. You know, a fair amount of um, uh, literature, data in the literature shows that there's increased complication risk with that. Okay. Um, and it's more than double in a lot of studies. Um, and so it needs to be the right patient. Uh, we actually developed uh, criteria here to look at um, patients undergoing what we call simultaneous bilateral total knee replacements and we actually uh, just are in the uh, midst of publishing that study and the criteria that we set it shows that if the patients are within those criteria and they have to do with age, BMI, no active medical conditions, mm -hmm. if they're diabetic, extremely well controlled diabetes, those patients within that capsule do well. If you're outside of that they have more complications. I see. So it's a long-winded answer to say if the patient fits the mold, they're extremely healthy, then they may be a candidate for both at the so same time. So it all time. depends. But most patients, we recommend staging them. Okay, great. All right, well, I'm gonna go ahead and jump to some uh, live questions that we're getting in. Um, I have, first one here is Anne. Ha um, have there been any new treatments developed for, oh, that just went away, let's see. Anne left. Sorry, uh, okay, Liz, <laughs> let's go to Liz. Um, hello, what can you suggest for my right shoulder? I have had one injection in it, but I have been told I have moderate to, se to severe arthritis on both shoulders. Do I need more injections? So, similar to hips and knees, when you're looking at an end-stage arthritis of a shoulder, you know, at some point injections uh, are gonna fail to provide you the relief you're looking for. Okay. Um, and if you've reached that point, Liz, I would recommend, you know, seeing, you know, preferably one of our surgeons here, but any, any shoulder specialist, um, you know, to, to go through the same kind of conversation we're having here about hip and knees ab about the shoulder, because there are shoulder replacements that do very well. Um, and again, if you've exhausted non-operative management for that, you, it's maybe time to see a surgeon. Great. And then I have Steve. Um, do you believe that knee replacement should be done at earlier ages than previous beliefs? Mine was at 59, though my quality of life was horrible. 
It's a great question, and, it, and it's a question I get a lot. And I, again, going back to this kind of old dogma that was passed down was you have to wait as long as you can. And what's frustrating for me is I'll see these kind of arbitrary numbers set for patients where you have to wait till you're 50 or whatever that, that number is set. Yeah. I don't think that makes sense. I think we have to be careful about how aggressive we are at putting these into patients. But at the end of the day, again, if the x-rays match the symptoms, meaning they have end-stage arthritis, mm -hmm. it greatly negatively impacts their activities of daily living, then I don't see any benefit in if you're 42, yeah. somehow waiting till you're 52 to do it. Okay. Your, your trade, what the, the problem is you're probably going to need a second surgery down the road. And let's, for argument's sake, say that contemporary total knee replacements are going to last 20, hopefully 25 years. Mm -hmm. If we say the average life expectancy is 85, okay? So now you need to be 60 or older to where we say, okay, you're probably not going, there's still no guarantees, but probably not going to need a second replacement. And you're 45, why wait 15 years yeah. of yeah. misery, yeah. right, for this theoretical gain down the road? So I don't think there's a strict age. Again, we have to look at it responsibly and understand, you know, we don't just put them in anybody. But right. if, if you have end-stage arthritis, you've tried everything and you're miserable, at least have the conversation about joint replacement. Do most uh, patients, or how many patients out of the ones that you do, actually come back for a second uh, surgery? So, well, given the fact that I've been only in practice seven years, so not many, hopefully, good. right? Yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, but what we see are the... Are, the, our predecessors, our mentors, right? right? The folks who were doing surgery here 20 to 25 years ago, um, those are the patients that we're seeing. Okay. Um, and, and with some, some of the developments, especially in the plastic that we use in, in the joint replacements, when we have to redo them, we're seeing less drastic of problems, more manageable, what we call revision surgery. Okay. And hopefully we'll continue to see that. Good, um, good. So when you need it redone, hopefully it's not a, a huge surgery. Right. All right. Excellent. And then I have Judy. I had partial knee replacement on both knees, and I'm in serious pain. What can I do for this? That's tough. There's there's many reasons why you could still be in pain. Um, sometimes the implant itself fails, so typically they're glued into place. Mm -hmm. we actually, it's called bone cement. Um, if that bond isn't working, uh, then it could be due to the implant itself. Mm. With a partial knee replacement, and I love partial knee replacements, I think it's great surgery in the right, right patient. Mm -hmm. um, the fact of the matter is your knee has three compartments. You've only replaced one of them. So underneath the kneecap or on the outside or inside part of the knee, depending on which partial uh, you had done, can develop arthritis and be causing pain. So it would re require you know, in-office evaluation, x-rays to try to determine what's the source of that pain. Did you call that knee cement? Is that what it's called? Bone cement. Bone is cement? Bone what is that made out of? Just curious. Uh, it's polymethyl methacrylate. It actually comes from the world of dentistry. Oh. Um, is where we borrowed that from. Oh, very interesting. All right. And then I have uh, Mary. Um, hi. So glad to see this feed. I had a total hip replacement eight weeks ago. Been uh, going better than expected, but my foot on my surgical side has been off and on, swollen since surgery. The doctor said it's normal. However, the past week or so, my foot has turned red like a sunburn. Is this also normal? That's another tough one. Yeah. I mean, eight weeks out, it can be. Um, yeah. We certainly will see patients um, have swelling in the operative limb okay. due to some of the things that we do during surgery. Um, and so on and off swelling uh, is not uncommon, but you also can develop things like gout, which will cause a red swollen oh. foot and painful. Um, surgery puts you at risk for developing those types of things. We worry about blood clots. Typically, if it's a blood clot, it, it's not just the foot. We see more swelling, a more diffuse swelling pattern. Sure. Uh, again, very hard to, to say exactly what's going on here. It may absolutely be normal. Um, if there's any concern, you know, that, that's certainly my belief is that's what our office is there for. Yes, and if I definitely. operate on a patient and they've called in and they're concerned, 
we get them in and we take a look and we yeah. see what we can see. Excellent. Um, Cindy, how long does a knee replacement last? So we kind of and touched on it. That, yeah. You know, I, I wish I wish I knew for sure. I, again, going back to my whole car analogy, some of it depends on how much you use it. Mm -hmm. um, the other issue with orthopedics is that typically the contemporary replacements we're putting in have not been around for 15 to 20 years. They're right. based on their predecessors that we think we've made improvements to. So long-winded answer, I, I tell patients, and it's a big window, anywhere from 15 to 25 <laughs> years. So I, I usually yeah. say average 20 is our hope. Okay. We'll see some fail early for reasons we're not clear. Sure. And then I'll see patients who had their knees replaced you know, 30 years ago and they're still functioning and they're well. they're still good. So it's hard Amazing. to know for sure. Great, and then I have Cindy again. How do you know the right age to do a knee replacement? And we just talked about yeah, this it's, it's not. I wouldn't put an age on it. I, yeah. it, you know, I have patients who are actually 50 who aren't healthy enough to undergo joint replacement because patients also worry about getting too old. And I have 85-year-old patients who are in tip-top health and absolutely good candidates. So it, it it depends on the whole picture. Okay, there, there's no absolute number you can put on that. And your quality of life, right? Correct. Yeah, uh, Melanie, um, I think it's better to stay in the hospital for two or three nights, given the medication they're taking. I think the stay has shortened due to insurance and the quick recovery of the surgery. So I guess that's kind of more of a comment. We get that a lot, and I can, I understand that sentiment. And you know, it's hard to uh, I guess first and foremost, I would tell you that. Certainly my, my goal as a surgeon, and I would like to think that the goal of the Cleveland Clinic as an institution is we, we, we put it as one of our main things as patients first. Yes. And some decisions I think can, can look that way, but we've looked at our own data and other places have looked at their data and shown that the shorter length of stay um, and the higher rate of discharge to home absolutely has improved outcomes. Mm -hmm. That's not to say there are patients that get readmitted for one reason or another, and we're right. working very hard to, to reduce that even further. Um, but we certainly saw no uptick in re-emissions as we shrunk our length of stay, in fact a decrease. Um, and there are some patients who medically, for whatever reason, or depending on what happened in surgery, or what's transpired over the 10 hours after surgery, do stay two or three nights. It's sure. not, we, we don't put every patient, you know, discharge them um, post-op day one, the day after surgery, regardless. Right. And, and so right. I, I hear that sentiment. Um, you know, we, we try to try to assess each patient and do what's right for them, for sure. And just like you mentioned, if there's nobody home, or if they need more Absolutely. care, they can go to a rehab Correct. center. Correct. Correct. And then, Paul, uh, do cortisone shots accelerate the de degeneration of joints? Uh, that, that's a good question. You, you can see in patients who have had multiple uh, steroid injections um, deposits in and throughout their joints. So I think for me, when I use that as a treatment option and for how long I'm going to do that, it kind of depends on what we're using it for. Mm -hmm. So if a patient has moderate to severe arthritis, I mean, not to sound crass, but the horse is kind of out of the barn, so to speak. So even if it's causing some degradation of the joint, mm -hmm. but in the meantime, providing them significant relief um, to, to avoid surgery for whatever reason, maybe they, you know, can't fit it in their schedule, don't want to do right. it, I think that's fine. If we're using it for something more upstream, so they have knee pain, x-rays look really good, I will give patients a corticosteroid injection, but but to your point, I will not you know repetitively inject that knee. Okay, so it's like a one-time kind of injection. Again, depending Ish. on what we're treating. Ish. Depending okay. on treating. <laughs> well, we have some patients who we use. They, you know, we can't do them any closer together than every three months. Okay. Well, some patients who every three months come in. Maybe they're not medically appropriate for surgery. They right. get you know 10 to 12 weeks of relief from their steroid injection, and we inject that joint. I see. I think that's okay too. Yeah. All right. Again, Great. patient dependent. Sure. And then Carol, uh, what are the odds of good results from bilateral knee surgery? Very good. And, you know, again, going if you look at um, quality of life improvement from surgery, uh, number one is open heart surgery. You save mm -hmm. a patient's life. Number two is cataract surgery. Yeah. Number three is total hip, and behind it is total knee. So it is great surgery, including bilateral knee surgery. Sure. Again, I like to think um, that the criteria that we've set place here, uh, set in place here, help 
uh, pad those results, if you will, knowing which group of patients are going to do well from bilateral knee surgery. And so the results are very good. Good. Very, very good. Excellent. And then uh, Jan uh, says, my daughter has um, rheumatoid arthritis. She has gone in for multiple torn, is it labrum? Labrum? Okay. Her furnerol head is a bright red from infl yeah. inflammation. She's asked for a hip replacement, but her doctor says it won't help her. If they remove the inflamed is that my saying that femoral head? Femoral head, yep. Femoral head. Would that not stop the pain? Um, in that setting, so rheumatoid arthritis and other inflammatory arthritis, uh, arthritis are different than osteoarthritis. Okay. Um, that being said, if you have end stage rheumatoid arthritis with loss of cartilage, again, the mechanism by which you lose cartilage is different. Yes. You know, typically you are looking at joint replacement. Okay. Um, there are other medication, biologic medications that um, affect your immune system that a rheumatologist would manage, not an right. orthopedic surgeon that will have a lot of patients on, um, that have some risk but have done wonderful things for that patient population in general as far sure. as saving their joints and allow them to maintain their activity levels. Uh, again, I hate to say it, it's a case-by-case -case basis. It would depend on what, what the x-rays look like. If those x-rays uh, show um, end-stage arthritis of that joint, I don't think going in and, and you know, resecting that synovium is, is going to be of benefit. Okay, great. And then Mark wants to know, is it possible to avoid a hip or knee replacement? What are other treatment options? Um, <laughs> the best way to avoid is just to, to be able to tolerate, again, because it's a quality of life decision. If you can tolerate the symptoms you're having, barring a couple of exceptions, there's no really harm in, in waiting and holding off and not doing surgery. As far as upstream, you know, it's weight management, it is uh, mm -hmm. low impact exercising, it's good nutrition, all those types of things that are frankly good for every uh, yeah. condition that we suffer from. Right. Um, there are other non-operative modalities. We talked about uh, steroid injections. Again, doing nothing to change the trajectory of the disease really. It's just um, trying to decrease the symptoms mm -hmm. that the patient suffers from. There are things like stem cells. Um, there are people working very hard here to look at those. There are some clinically available. Um, insurance does not cover that. It is out-of-pocket expense. I think there's very little risk, but there certainly is not science to date to show any sure. improvement. I can pretty much without cert with no uncertainty say that it's not going to grow cartilage back on the knee, yeah. but it may provide symptomatic relief. So that's an option. Other things, uh, PRP, platelet-rich plasma, okay. um, again, to, to try to uh, improve the symptoms. We have not figured out how to stop the process or, or reverse the process for right, that matter. Right, very good point. Um, Amy, uh, what do I need to do to prepare for surgery? Um, any medical comorbidities get absolutely optimized. There are risk factors that we cannot change and there are modifiable risk factors. So any modifiable risk factor, whether it's heart disease, weight, diabetes, smoking, all those types of things that can be modified, modify them to put yourself in the best position to not have any complications following surgery. Stay as active as you can. Sometimes that becomes difficult with yeah. a painful joint, which is why you're having the surgery. Yeah. Um, and then again, try to um, recruit social support yeah. for when the time of surgery comes that you're ready. It's probably gonna be eight weeks or so off of work if you're employed, just to kind of keep that in mind as far you as eight preparing. weeks off? Yeah. I tell folks eight weeks. I've had patients go back after four. Yeah. I've had patients need 12 weeks. We did a study here at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, he's a hand surgeon now. He's one of our ex-residents. Um, actually looked at it, and it wasn't what job patients had. It was actually what resources they had when they weren't working. So self-employed oh. patients got back to work really quick, whether I they see. were they own their own construction company sure. or they were accountants. You know, they, when they weren't working, they weren't being paid, which makes sense. 
Um, so again, the patient has a lot to, to do with when they get back to work, but I think a, a reasonable estimate is eight weeks. Okay, great. Um, Marilyn, I just had a knee replacement last July. What kind of bend should I have? It's about 105 now. Should I have more? Can do everything but kneel. Thank you. Um, I would tell you that if you've had it a year ago, that a 105 is going to be what you're going to have. Okay. What we know is that typical American life, mm -hmm. um, 105 degrees of flexion is plenty to typically do most of the activities that we enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. Um, what it should do or shouldn't do, I, you know, I, I don't know. The big thing that, that predicts how much it moves after surgery is how much it moves before. Hmm. And so some patients will have bad arthritis and they'll have full range of motion of their knee. Those patients typically get a lot of range of motion following surgery. But before surgery, you know, if you had very limited range of motion, there's a good chance that that impacted the fact that you have 105 degrees of motion. Right. The implants themselves can tolerate and see up to 140. Those are outliers, though. The vast majority of patients do not get that much flexion nor need it. Okay, good, good to know. Uh, Dan, what are the best exercises to perform after surgery? Again, I would say low impact exercises. Mm -hmm. um, early on, um, especially with knee replacements, you're gonna look at quad strengthening, so your thigh muscles. Okay. Um, when we do something as small as a knee scope, th that muscle can shut down. So mm -hmm. this is a much bigger surgery uh -huh. than that. And so it can take patients a long time to get their quadricep muscle built back up. So focusing in on those exercises postoperatively are important. Yeah. Not to mention that preoperatively, arthritis starts to shut those muscles down too. Right. But short of that, you know, I recommend cycling, swimming, which can be somewhat cumbersome, but it's great exercise. It's low impact. Uh, walking, patients will ask where they can run, again, going back to that car analogy. Yeah, You can, but <laughs> I, I would love to see you do ellipticals or, yeah. like I said, cycling or something like that. How about water aerobics? I think great. like underwater Absolutely. is Perfect. great. Okay, got Perfect. it. Um, Ann, uh, have there been any new treatments developed for chronic bursitis? Chronic bursitis is tough, and we'll see that in patients who do or do not have um, uh, arthritis. You know, a lot of patients get sent to me to have their hip replaced, and they have what's called trochanteric bursitis, which is lateral-based hip pain. Okay. Um, you can see that after surgery as well. The short answer is no, unfortunately. That, that's one of those conditions that seems to be recurrent. Um, again, it, the treatment really hinges on physical therapy, stretching, ice, non-operative modalities. There are, there are certain times where we'll take the bursa out. I, I'm not seeing good results with that. I'm not, you know, if you've had that done, I'm not saying it's terrible. I, yeah. I just, I, I think it's, unfortunately, it's often a recurring kind of chronic issue. Try to, try to do low impact exercising, over-the-counter medications as needed. Okay, we can great. do some injections at times. And then back to Liz, I read about a knee replacement surgery that does not cut tendons or ligaments. Is that common now? So I think uh, this gets to, to the responsibility of us as orthopedic surgeons, uh, just being careful about how we word things. Um, mm -hmm. There are certain techniques that we've learned to make the, the, sur the surgery less invasive. Minimally invasive surgery was all the craze. And I yeah. think a lot of good things came out of it. We have better instruments. We just have a better know-how of, of how to, to do the surgery with less damage to the tissues. Okay. I think it's semantics whether you're saying, if you can feel comfortable saying, I don't cut across tendons, cut alongside tendons. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, we have not discovered a magical way to put this implant in through a hole that's this big, right? Yeah. So we still have to get into the knee joint. Yeah. And there are certainly ways to do it where we damage muscles and tendons and ligaments less than others. And I think most contemporary surgeons today respect that and understand that and, sure. and do that. Sure, great. Uh, Lucille, how long does a knee replacement uh, last? I had mine done about 20, 25 years ago and now it clicks now and then. So that's a great example, right? It's 20 to 25 years and it, if, if all you're having is a little bit of clicking, that's great. It seems like it's doing well. Um, 
all total knee replacements, whether the patient notices it or not, will click because they're metal and plastic, and so okay. they'll come together and, and then go apart and then come together, and that makes it click. The reason, Lucille, you may be noticing it more now than you were before is what wears out is that plastic, and so that plastic fills a space. And as that plastic wears out, that space gets looser, and patients will report more clicking, the sense of instability, maybe not trusting the knee. Hmm. Certainly 20 to 25 years out, I don't know when the last time you had an x-ray is, I would recommend getting in to see somebody. I don't, it's not, I don't want you to think it's an emergent <laughs> thing, but I would in the near future have an x-ray just to see what the uh, status of your knee replacement is for sure. Okay. Great. Uh, Jason, are you familiar with the is it orthosurface conversion to total knees? If so, what are the results? And um, what is that? I well, guess, so I, I think I know what that is. Okay. So <laughs> arthrosurface is a way to treat. So arthritis, what we're talking about here today, is kind of a diffuse loss of cartilage throughout the knee, either right. one side or all, all three parts of the knee. Arthrosurface is designed to treat patients who have a focal mm. um, lesion of cartilage, typically from like a trauma. Okay. Um, so just as we talked earlier about a partial knee replacement where the rest of the knee can wear out, with an arthrosurface you have even more of your knee that can wear out. And at times that arthrosurface needs to be taken out and converted to a total knee. I don't know of any study looking exactly at that. Uh, I would, if you look at the results of a primary total knee, meaning first time around, mm -hmm. and then you look at the results of what's called a revision total knee, going back into a total knee and having to redo it, sure. a primary total knee results are much better. Okay. Something like taking an arthrosurface to a total knee are going to be closer to that primary total knee result than to a revision. Okay. Um, it, it's a pretty easy surgery. There's little difference in whether we're just doing it the first time around. But I can't give you the exact results. Sure, sure. But they're good. Okay, good. Uh, Robert, uh, what hip replacements options are there? Uh, you know, that's like kind of saying what car could you buy. I mean, there are multiple makes and models, but they all function mm. pretty much the same way. Um, I think hip resurfacing is, is kind of a, a divide. We have one of the most prolific hip resurfacing surgeons here at the Cleveland Clinic, St. Peter Brooks. Um, and there's a select patient population that that's appropriate for. Okay. Um, in general, these aren't exact, but in general, 55-year-old men and younger. It's only for men. Oh. Um, but short of that, the hip replacement options, there's different bearing surfaces. Most of us in this day and age use a ceramic ball on a plastic liner. I'm sure you've seen metal on metal hips and all the problems that have, have come forth with that. Um, so again, the options are, are subtle. It's like deciding between a Ford or a Chevy, sort yeah, of. So yeah. lots of options, very similar in the way they function. You said it's only for men. Are the hip replacement pieces, are they all separate kind of female, male, or? Uh, so hip replacement, that, that's hip resurfacing, just to oh, say, okay, just okay, for yes, me, yes. I want to be careful yes. what I'm saying, which is different than a total <laughs> hip replacement. Sure. Um, they're not different, but we have a multitude of sizes. So mm -hmm. I call it off-the-shelf customization. It's not, they're on the shelf, but we have one through 22 as far as sizes are concerned. And so we can fit any patient's anatomy. Okay. And so obviously, typically for women, we're using smaller sizes sure. in general. Right. But we have sizes to fit any Great. individual. Uh, Linda, what about scar tissue on a knee replacement? Does it have an impact? It does. Um, some patients, for one reason or another, like some patients will keloid, which you'll see kind of big scars on their skin. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll see that type of process occur within the knee joint itself. Um, we call that arthrofibrosis. You know, there's some ways to manage that. Sometimes it's a very difficult problem to manage. Right. Typically what, what stems from that then is a, a, a knee that's stiffer than you would like, so decreased motion. Um, and again, I, there are patients who develop scar tissue rapidly and aggressively and some that don't. I don't think we necessarily have a good handle as to, to why some do and some don't. Okay. And then Wanda wants to know if there are any concerns with type 1 diabetes having hip replacements. Absolutely. 
Um, so unfortunately, diabetics are at increased risk for complications, specifically infection. Mm. Um, infection is kind of this, this terrible thing, unfortunately, that can come from joint replacement. Now, fortunately, it's very rare. It's somewhere around 1% chance. Yeah. Um, diabetes puts you at increased risk for that. Being an insulin-dependent diabetic certainly does. Mm. We look at hemoglobin A1C, which is a decent uh, uh, test to look at the overall management of blood sugars on a daily basis over an extended period of time. Okay. There's no hard number. Um, you know, we like it certainly to be seven or better. The closer to six, the better. You know, again, if it's kind of a, a complete picture, if a patient is a type one um, diabetic, their A1C is 7.2, but they don't smoke, they're not overweight, then mm -hmm. I think it's okay. But if okay. you have those other risk factors, and you really, like I said before, those modifiable risk factors, you really try to have to manage those as best you can before surgery. Sure, sure, because they apply everywhere. Correct. Right? So okay. the key is, is tight glucose control. Okay, great. And then Pam, how does, um, or how bad does your knee have to be in before you can consider a replacement? Mine is bone to bone. So if your x-rays show bone on bone arthritis, and you can go jog five miles, don't get your knee replaced. Um, if your x-rays show bone-on-bone -bone arthritis and you second guess whether you're going to go out to dinner with your significant other or your children or your friends, then that's time to start contemplating knee replacement. Right. You know, I'll have patients who come in and say, oh, my knee's killing me. I, I play 18 holes of golf and by the end I need to take an ibuprofen. I say, well, I don't think that's reason to have your yeah. knee replaced. I right. feel for you, but <laughs> I take them too. <laughs> um, and then other patients who their families like, they, you know, they stop getting off the couch, they won't do anything. And that patient need to kind of help feel better and more comfortable about the results of joint sure. replacement. Um, so again, going back to your question, those x-ray findings have to match what impact it's having on your daily life. Sure, and your symptoms. Great. I'll have two more questions for you before I let you go. Okay. <laughs> Brenda, what would swelling and pain behind the knee indicate? A lot of times that's what we call a Baker cyst or a popliteal cyst, that popliteal is the posterior part of the knee, that's typically from inflammation within the knee. Okay. And then there's kind of an anatomic variant that allows that tissue to get out into the back of the knee. Sometimes we'll see that rupture, um, and patients will all of a sudden have kind of calf swelling. And, and, mm. um, it, but again, it's, it's typically the issue is within the knee. A lot of times, again, treatment is for that is tr to try to treat the underlying condition. If it's arthritis, low-impact exercising, maybe an injection. On occasion, we will actually go after the cyst. I have some colleagues, I don't do it myself, but mm -hmm. under ultrasound, we'll aspirate that cyst or suck the fluid out of it and maybe inject something. Um, in the back of the knee, that's where your blood vessels and your nerves are, and so you have to be a little bit careful. Wow. But again, it's more of a symptom of what the underlying issue is. Right, right. All right, and then I have last question from Gracie. Is it true that you can only have two replacements in your lifetime, and if so, why? It's not true, but okay. it is one of the reasons you can run out of real estate, so to speak. So it's one of the reasons that you, you do, you don't want to embark down that road and start down that road until your symptoms warrant it. Right. We have patients, unfortunately, who have undergone multiple, multiple, multiple surgeries for one reason or another. You start to run out of bone. Mm -hmm. um, each time we go in and have to redo it, we run out of bone. In this day and age, we have quite a few tools in our belt to, to replace bone. What also becomes a problem is the soft tissue surrounding that implant. So there is a limitation. It's certainly not two. Okay. And it's different for everybody, once again. All right, great. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. But before I let you go, anything you want to tell our audience that maybe we haven't touched on? I know. I, we I, kind I, of I've talked been, about a lot. I think so, yeah. I've yeah. enjoyed my time. I think you guys have had great questions. I appreciate it. Great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. And then for more information on knee or hip replacement, go to ccf.org slash treatment guides for a full selection of health guides. And then look for knee pain hip pain, or joint replacement guides. For more health tips and information, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, one word. We'll see you again next time. Thank you. 
This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.